0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Marshall Poe, one of the hosts of the channel. And today I'm very happy to say we are talking again to Richard Weichart about uh, his book. It's a new book. We talked to him about an earlier book on another episode of New Books in History. This book is called Hitler's Religion, the Twisted Beliefs that Drove the Third Reich. And I might, as an editorial aside, say to all historians and history readers that this book is a model of how history books should be written. Uh, It is as clear as it could possibly be in terms of prose and organization. And I really want to commend Richard for that. Anybody can pick this book up and come away with a good impression of what Hitler's religion was and was not. I guarantee you this book is 100% jargon free. It should have a label that says 100% jargon free. So Richard, i want to congratulate you on writing a, a lovely clear book. Yeah. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm a professor of history at uh, California State University, Stanislaus. I'm teaching uh, uh, modern European history, so I teach courses that include uh, a course on Hitler and the Nazi era, the Holocaust. So I'm, I'm very uh, involved in teaching about these subjects, too, which is one of the reasons why I try to be clear. I, I teach a lot of undergraduate classes, so this is, I think, one of the reasons why I'm able to sort of maybe present this kind of clarity
0: Yeah, I don't know how you did it, but it really is a model of clarity. Every, uh, you know, nice, short, punchy sentences. And I also should say, and this will be reflected in the interview itself, it's wonderfully arranged in a series of questions. I'll just read a couple of them so that the readers can get an idea of what they are. So the book begins, was Hitler a religious hypocrite? And then it goes on, who influenced Hitler's religion? Then it goes on, was Hitler an atheist? These are questions that if you have are thinking about Hitler's religion, should naturally occur to you. And Richard wonderfully just yep. presents them and then answers them. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't somebody else think of this, Richard? I don't know. You're well done. So um, why did you write this book?
1: Well, I was doing research uh, on my earlier books relating to Hitler's ideology, and, and while I was working on some of those uh, books, and let me preface that by saying, too, when I first actually began in my career uh, in 1994, I got my PhD at University of Iowa, and I was uh, working on uh, the reception of Darwinism by German Socialism, and I got interested in social Darwinism and issues related to evolutionary ethics, and I really wasn't even thinking about Hitler at that point in time in my career. In fact, I thought the Nazi period had probably been overdone, there was a lot of work Work being done on it at the time. And so I was more interested in the late 19th century. But as I began getting to that, I got uh, interested in the way that those things connected with Nazi ideology. And I started seeing that I thought I could make some kind of contributions to uh, the the literature, the historical literature on uh, and So I sort of got brought into that in that way, initially into the Hitler theme. And then as I was working on uh, Hitler's... Uh, thinking about social Darwinism and evolutionary ethics and how it related to Hitler's ideology, uh, Richard Steichmann Gall uh, published a book, I think it came out in 2003, if I recall correctly, right around there anyway, uh, called The Holy Reich, Nazi Conceptions of Christianity. And this book was pretty controversial, uh, and uh, I gave it a somewhat negative review uh, in, uh, I think it was German Studies Review. Uh, and it got it piqued my interest in this theme as I was looking at his uh, ideology at the time anyway, and so I sort of uh, decided to look simultaneously at his religious ideas and just focus in on uh, what Hitler's religion actually was because I didn't really think the gall quite got it right, uh, and so that's what sort of got me uh, interested in this theme. And then as I began uh, exploring the theme uh, further, you start finding that there's you know especially in the sort of popular sphere you see that there are people you know all over the map you know on what Hitler's religious ideas are there's uh, a lot of uh atheists and secularist websites that are claiming that hitler's a christian uh richard dawkins himself makes that kind of claim uh you have uh all sorts of people on the opposite side christians claiming that no hitler's an atheist and then you also have this idea that hitler's an occultist too that's floating around out there and and uh, there's all sorts of, of uh TV specials and the History Channel and all sorts of other things that are looking at the occult connections with Nazis. And there were some occult connections with some of the Nazi leaders. But interestingly, uh, Hitler uh, didn't seem to have that. So I was I was kind of tr- intrigued by uh, these all these w- different interpretations of Hitler's religion and wanted to see if I could get to
0: the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have. <laughs> let me just That's my own personal okay. opinion. Um, or okay. let let me say, I think you have gotten as close to the bottom of it as a person can get given the sources. And I wanted to have you say a few words about that because writing about what Hitler thought, as you point out in the book very well, is a hard thing to do because he said so much and to so many different audiences. And he did not really think programmatically. He thought relatively, I don't know what to put words into your mouth, but he thought as a politician might, that is, he was speaking to given audiences and he would tailor what he said to these audiences. And then, of course, there's his, I forget what they call it, tischfrocker or whatever it is, that's what they call it when Luther did it, and his acolytes wrote down everything he said. So that adds more to it. And once you get all of it together, you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of pages given to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different audiences. It's difficult to distill that material. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it is. And in fact, the, the first cha- chapter where I talked about was Hitler a religious hypocrite, you know, deals with this kind of issue of, you know, how can we really figure out what Hitler was really thinking? And, you know, it is difficult because uh, even, in pri- even in private, I think we sometimes aren't you know, sure, if Hitler's just playing to the audience at that case. So, you know, and Hitler's saying one thing, of course, publicly about his commitment to Christianity, and that's why some people think that Hitler was a Christian. You know, he's public speeches where he says in April 1922, for example, he says that uh, Jesus is his Lord and Savior. And so people jump on that and say, well, okay, Hitler, you know, had some kind of Christian commitment. And then, of course, in the, the uh, Nazi Party program, he has this part of it where they're upholding positive Christianity. So that that seems to, you know, in the public, he's sort of putting forward this image, at least usually, of, you know, being positive toward Christianity. Although I should say at the same time that there actually were sometimes publicly when he actually makes negative comments about Christianity, too. So he's not even consistent publicly uh, in his, uh, the image that he's kind of cur- trying to create. But then private... You know, he's saying quite different things, and he's very antagonistic toward Christianity, usually in private, when he's talking with Goebbels, who himself was also very anti-Christian, or with some of his other associates. And so, if you look like at the, the table talks you mentioned, which are some of his monologues in the... In his uh, headquarters, uh, he's, he's very often anti-Christian, this kind of remarks. So what I had to try to do is I had to try to look at several things. I looked at his public statements, and for one thing, I found that there were actually inconsistencies even in his public statements about his, uh, religious views. Then I looked at his private statements in as much as we can get at those, and I, I relied on not only on his table talks, which by the way have been called into question, especially in the English translations of them, uh, but the German, uh, Editions are generally uh, considered by historians to be fair pretty reliable and also I compared his uh those monologues uh, or his table talks with uh The Goebbels diaries which we have and also the Rosenberg diaries which were just re- uh, Recovered just a couple, few years ago. I think it was about three or four years ago. Uh, the Rosenberg diaries were uh, rediscovered uh, They'd been taken away by someone that during the Nuremberg trials uh, And had been squirreled away and so we now have those available as well. And if you compare the Rosenberg diaries with the Goebbels diaries and then with the tabletop, what you find is that if you look on the exact the same dates that there are is a lot of consistency between them, which gives us a little bit of uh uh, assurance that the, the table talks probably do have some kind of validity mm-hmm. there. So, but then, I, but then I also look at what the testimony of others around him, what different of his uh, cronies had to say about what he told them about religion. So Hess has a very interesting thing when he was in prison in Landsberg with Hitler, where he writes a letter to his wife and talks about uh, what Hitler told him about religion. And then uh, Hitler talks with uh, 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 various other colleagues his, and his secretaries remark uh, in their interrogations after the, the war and also in their memoirs that they write. So I try to take a pretty broad base. And then I also try to look at what Hitler actually did in relation to uh, religion uh, and religious institutions such as the Catholic Church, the Protestant churches, as well as occultists uh, during the time that he was in power. And so I sort of combine all those things together to get at least as close as I think we can to what Hitler thought about uh, religion and what his uh, relationship with it was.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's actually go through the questions and and, and let's begin with the first one in chapter one. Uh, Was Hitler a religious hypocrite? Yes or no? Well, of course he was.
1: <laughs> and uh, and uh, one, of the, one of the evidences I used, I mean, there's a whole broad range of evidence, and again, I, I, I point out he even was inconsistent even in public in his utterances about Christianity, for example, sometimes praising it uh, when he thought he could get political mileage out of that. But there were other times when he was critical of it, even in public. Uh, but one, the, the, I mentioned this uh, letter that... Uh, Hess uh, Hitler, who's sort of Hitler's right hand man is Hitler's secret, private secretary wrote to his wife from Lonsberg prison where he took, said that uh, he and some other inmates there in, in prison, other Nazi inmates there had been discussing issues about religion and Hitler had stayed aloof from that conversation but after the conversation was over Hitler and Hess talked privately and Hitler told Hess point blank that I have to play the religious hypocrite uh, before the churches because uh, the Christianity is so strong in Germany and I don't want to alienate uh, the people. And then there's another time when... Uh He remarked uh, about Ludendorff. Ludendorff was uh, intensely anti-Catholic, and Hitler once remarked that, yeah, Ludendorff can be intensely anti-Catholic, but he says, I'm trying to win over the voters, so I have to, you know, I have to play milder uh, with that. So uh, Hitler, uh, at times, even himself admitted that he was a religious hypocrite, and it becomes obvious when you uh, compare what he was saying in private with what he was saying in public. Let me just give another example of that. Uh, Hitler never attended a catholic mass as an adult uh, except for a few occasions when there were like funerals special events like funerals and other things like that but one of the times that he attended a mass was when the polish premier pilzutski died and there was a mass in honor of him held in berlin and so uh, hitler went to that funeral mass however and so you know you think okay you know he's you know, paying honor to uh, not only Pilsutsky, but also to you know God and Christianity. But after the Mass was over, uh, Goebbels records in his diary that Hitler was scoffing about what he had seen at the Mass and scoffing at uh, Catholicism and the rites and ceremonies that were being done. Uh, there. So when he was doing these these uh, even when he was doing things that might be seen as sort of religious acts, uh his heart certainly wasn't in it. It was
0: all for public show. Mhm. So, yes, Hitler was a religious hypocrite. So let's go on to the second question. Uh who influenced Hitler's religion?
1: Well, this is an interesting question because there's all sorts uh, I I bring in a quite a number of different Uh, individuals who uh, could have had an influence on Hitler's religion. And and when we're talking about any kind of influences on Hitler, it's very difficult to actually pin down exact influences because Hitler didn't keep a... Uh, didn't really give a lot of information about where he got his ideas from. I think partly that was by, on purpose. He didn't want to... He wanted to appear like sort of an original thinker, you know, not like he was deriving stuff from all sorts of other people. And He does on occasion uh, pay homage to Schopenhauer, for example, and I do talk about Schopenhauer and his uh, atheistic ideas that he thought there was a sort of impersonal will in the universe, and this does seem to have a pretty big impact on Hitler's way of thinking, although, again, I don't think Hitler was... was uh, imbibing all of that ideas. Nietzsche is another key influence, but again, Hitler sort of uh, synthesizes views from a, a broad variety of German thinkers. So there's there's Schopenhauer, there's Nietzsche, there's uh, Houston Stuart Chamberlain. and I, In fact, in some of the other chapters, uh, even outside of that chapter, I actually discussed some of the influences on various uh, specific elements of his Uh, thoughts. There's a pretty wide uh, variety of people who are influencing Hitler's religion. What I do try to do in that chapter too is just show the kind of variety that was out there at the time and what was sort of available to Hitler uh, that he could have drawn upon. Uh, And so we can show particular influences, especially like, for instance, Schopenhauer and then also Nietzsche. But then uh, there's other figures uh, who were broadly influential uh, in pushing various kinds of ideas such as pantheism, which is going to be one of the things I argue that Hitler embraced uh, so uh there's lots of pantheistic thinkers from the time of German romanticism on in the nineteenth century up through the early twentieth century, so that was also a very uh important uh Influence. Then there also were some occultist figures like Guido List and also uh, Jörg Lanz von Liebenfels, in v- who were Viennese uh, occult figures, uh, who, even though, uh, again, I don't argue that Hitler himself was a, uh, a, a really strong lean to the occult, uh, nonetheless, these guys were writing about Aryan racism and other kinds of things. So Hitler may have been influencing some elements from them. So Hitler sort of picked and chose different things from all sorts of different things. And actually, he, if you read Mein Kampf, he actually has a section in Mein Kampf about how to read a book. <laughs> and In Hitler's In Hitler's section about how to read a book, in my copy, he actually says this, that what you do when you read a book is you just read it to get the things that you want and just forget the rest, Mm -hmm. essentially. And Mm -hmm. this is pretty much how he operated. He just pulled out little things from different uh, thinkers that he thought were useful to him or that he thought were important or that he agreed with, and then just uh, ignored the rest of the stuff Mm -hmm. in in that corpus of that
0: particular thinker. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I did want to have you speak a little bit about uh, concerning who influenced Hitler uh, concerns anti-clericalism in general at the time he was uh, sort of sowing his oats at the time he was growing up because it was very common. And I don't think many people know this, that that it was, it was, it was almost, it was fashionable to be anti-clerical and, and, he, oh, and yeah. his environment was suffused with people who did not like the church.
1: Yeah, that's the case. And in fact, even in his own family, uh, his mother was very devout. A Catholic. In fact, uh, later on in life, Hitler uh, sort of made the comment that he that even you know even if he wanted to, even as uh, you know dictator of Germany, that he would not be able to keep his mom from from going to Catholic mass. And that's just why he was sort of you know, indulgent toward those that were still religious and such, because he realized even his mom would do that. Mm-hmm. So his mom was very devout and pious, but his father wasn't. His father was considered a freethinker. That is, one who was anti-clerical and and against the church. So even in Hitler's uh, family, there was you know, both. Uh, things going on. And then when he moved into the uh, to Vienna from 1907 to 1913, while he was living there, yes, there was a, a lot of uh, anti-clerical uh, movements there, the, the so-called Pan-German movement, which was founded by Georg von Schörnerer. Uh Schörnerer was intensely anti-clerical, so much so that he led a campaign against the Catholic Church called the Los von Rome mm-hmm. movement, which just means free from Rome movement, and that was an attempt to break away from Catholicism. And uh, what actually happened is uh, Scherner himself uh, broke from the Catholic Church, joined the Protestant Church, but not because he was so committed to Protestantism, but just because uh, he wanted to get out of Catholicism, mm-hmm. essentially. And if you read uh, Scherner's writings, he comes out it, it, very hostile to the Church and Christianity on the whole. I, I discussed this in the book uh, as well. Hitler actually, in uh, Mein Kampf, uh, said that Scherner had it completely right ideologically. He just thought that Scherner was wrong in his uh, tactical approach. And one of those tactical approaches that he thought Scherner had really messed up was his Los Van Rom movement, his breaking away from Catholicism, because it alienated so mm-hmm. many pious uh, Catholics in Austria. So mm-hmm. Scherner himself was pretty anti-clerical, and then Hitler liked that about him, but uh, didn't want to follow his political tactic uh, because he thought it would lead him to oblivion, political oblivion. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of other anti-clerical uh, thinkers as well around. Obviously, Nietzsche was becoming very popular by the early 20th century with his uh, atheistic philosophies. So uh, in intellectual circles, uh, anti-Semitism was pretty strong. And also in the so-called radical, what's called the radical right uh, in Vienna, but then especially in Munich uh, in the early 20th century, the so-called radical right tended to be very secular in its orientation, Mm -hmm. too. And the radical, the Nazis sort of came out of that milieu of what's called the radical right or the radical nationalist right there
0: in the, in the early uh, 20th century. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was really nothing particularly original about this aspect of Hitler's religious attitudes. I guess that's the point I'm, ge- I'm getting to.
1: No, there wasn't anything original, I don't think, about any of Hitler's uh, <laughs> Ideas or thoughts. I mean, and and in my book, my earlier book, Hitler's Ethic, as well, and from Darwin to Hitler, and then my book, Hitler's Ethic, and then also in Hitler's Religion, I try to show that you know these things weren't really particularly original. Although I think Hitler liked to think of himself that way, which is why he didn't really uh, give credit where credit was due.
0: Yeah, I I guess something I'm reacting to is the, the surprise that some people have in learning that. Hitler, and we'll discuss this later, was broadly anti-clerical, that he did not like organized religion in general, and specifically Christianity and Judaism. There's somehow that this is novel for people on the right to to hold this view, but it wasn't in his time at all. It was more no, standard in the fare. Yeah, in, yeah. It, yeah
1: in, the, in the middle of the 19th century, that would have been a more unusual kind of view. But by the early 20th century, there was this this movement. And, and in fact, uh, uh a number of uh, Germans began to call themselves the conservative revolutionaries. That was mm-hmm. a term that was being used in the 19-teens and 20s for some uh, nationalists who were uh, basically secular-minded nationalists and who were authoritarian in their political persuasion. So they had some this conservative edge to their politics, but then in their sort of more broadly cultural, social views, they tended to be uh, more radical mm-hmm. uh, and uh, secular
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go on to the next question. Was Hitler an atheist?
1: Yeah, so that's a question that, of course, there's quite a number of uh, uh, Christians and other religious people who think, well, he must have been an atheist. He wasn't a Christian. He was anti-Christian and such. But uh, those aren't the only options on the table, And as I try to show as I go throughout uh, the book. and if you, uh, And I've not been able to find a single instance of where Hitler actually embraced atheism. I can't find anywhere that Hitler actually said uh, that he was atheist or that he believed in atheism. And on the contrary, there's a number of times where he actually criticizes atheism. So I think the the evidence on the whole suggests that he did believe in some kind of higher power. And he does talk quite uh, extensively about providence, about god he uses these terms both publicly and privately consistently so uh, it, it does seem to me that uh, we have to uh, accept the idea that hitler did have some kind of view or belief about a god and, and this comes through i think especially when you start looking at things like uh when there was assassination attempts on him hitler uh and, and again i don't think this was just for public uh consumption, although I'm sure it uh, played that way as well, uh, saw this as providence intervening and, and uh, saving him for some higher mission. He talks about this mission that he has that he believes that divine providence have given him. And again, I'm sure some of that was propaganda uh, for the people, you know, intended for the people. But again, even, even privately, it seems like he... Uh, has some notion of there being some kind of God or higher power. Even at one point in his table talk says that this is one of the things that sort of sets apart the Aryans uh, from other races, their belief in in higher power and being that we have to believe in, have some kind of uh, belief in an afterlife. But interestingly... Uh, when, when we get to the issue of afterlife, Hitler, when he talks about the afterlife, actually believed that the afterlife was not a personal kind of afterlife, like, say, Christianity typically teaches. You, know, you, had this, you're, you're, you have an individual soul that's going to go on to live forever. He thought of the afterlife, and he says this on a couple, several occasions, uh, that it's like we as uh, human beings, when we die, that we are sort of absorbed back into what he calls the reservoir of nature. Uh, and this is how his vision of afterlife, so afterlife, he doesn't see as sort of a personal kind of afterlife. So this is, I think, another reason why some people sort of see him as more to me, more toward the atheistic uh, side. But again, I think that's not quite right.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you point out in the book is that it's hard for him to uh, associate, even if he did believe in atheism, which he didn't, uh, or have the faith of atheism, because that's what atheism is. Uh, he couldn't very well associate himself with his arch enemies, who were the Bolsheviks or communists, who were explicitly atheist.
1: Exactly, and that's one of the things he criticizes them for very harshly. That then he calls them the, the atheist Bolsheviks on a few occasions. Uh, so yes, that
0: is one of the things he's trying mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. So then uh, this leads naturally to the question again. Wonderfully organized book. Was Hitler a Christian? You know, let me say just one more thing about the atheist. Okay, issue. go ahead. So,
1: too, because. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Hitler does uh, try to associate himself with Nietzsche. In fact, I have a, a photo in my book that was published by Hitler's personal photographer of Hitler standing across from a bust of Nietzsche. And of course, Nietzsche was an atheist. Mm-hmm. And Hitler does talk about how Schopenhauer, he considers one of the greatest philosophers, and most philosophers... Uh, Consider Schopenhauer to be an atheist, although he has this really Schopenhauer has this really weird idea about there's being this impersonal will pervading the universe, which I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> impersonal will <laughs> I mean, that seems like a contradiction yeah. in terms, but but uh, most philosophers sort of take take him still to be an atheist in his uh, basic perspective. So so Hitler was willing to be associated with these atheists. No, I mean, Hitler certainly knew obviously that Hitler that Nietzsche had said God is dead, but Hitler actually gave some of his own private funds to help fund the Nietzsche archive. He visited the Nietzsche archive several times. Uh-huh. And that photo was taken at the Nietzsche archive. So Hitler was not averse to being associated in some ways with atheism, but ultimately he didn't really uh, embrace that. Mm-hmm,
0: okay, good. Thanks for the clarification. So again, the, the next question is: Was Hitler a Christian? You hear this a lot, actually.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's uh, said quite frequently, and uh, Richard Dawkins, you know, the most famous atheist around, uh, has made that kind of claim, as Christopher Hitchens, another very famous atheist, who made that kind of claim that Hitler was a Christian, and here's how we know. You know, Hitler said so. Well, you know, it's like, Hitler, Hitler, Hitler said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You know, so if if Hitler makes this pronouncement, it must be true, which seems obviously pretty naive. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Hitler does make the claim on a number of occasions, and in the Nazi 25-point program, You know, he makes the claim that Nazis are standing for positive Christianity, although I should say, too, about the 25-point program, that Hitler uh, had only been in the party for a few months by the time the 25-point program was promulgated, and uh, he wasn't even the leader of the party yet at that time. Anton Drexler still was and and Drexler had a lot to do with that program as well, so we're not even sure exactly, you know, which parts of that Hitler drew up and everything, Uh, but... um, it's pretty clear if you uh, go through uh, Hitler's uh, speeches, his private conversations with people, uh, that he continually was distancing himself privately from Christianity, while sometimes publicly uh, making out that he was a Christian. And but it, what's interesting is if you track this over time, when he comes to by the time he gets into power in 1933 to 34, after that point, after 1934, Hitler never ever makes a comment uh, that he's supporting, he's supportive of Christianity or that he personally embraces Christianity, which is another, I think, key line of evidence that Hitler was using this for political uh, uh, uses when he was out of power to try to gain the, the uh, popularity with the electorate, and not to alienate people uh, and such. And while I was working on this book, I discovered something very... Uh, Shocking to me, uh, which was a photograph that I think illustrates this uh, issue as well. What happened was, uh, in 1932, Hitler was coming out of a church in Bremerhaven, Germany, and his private photographer, Heinrich Hoffmann, took a picture of Hitler coming out of that church with a very bright white cross standing right above Hitler's head. And it sort of gives Hitler this halo effect. Uh, and so uh, what I discovered, though, uh, I'd seen that picture before, by the way, because that's on the dust jacket of uh, Richard Steichman Gall's book, The Holy Reich, that I'd mentioned earlier. Uh, and so I'd, I'd seen that picture before. But when I ordered uh, this Heinrich Hoffman's book from Interlibrary Loan, I got a hold of a, a late, little later edition, a 1938 edition. And when I opened that one up, I was startled to discover that they had airbrushed out the cross uh, out of that picture in the later editions of it. And by the way, I've consulted a bunch of other uh, Hitler scholars and Nazi scholars, and no one else that I know of knows of any other photo that was doctored or altered by the Nazis. I mean, Stalin was doing this all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. Stalin was constantly, you know, having uh, Trotsky airbrushed out of photos, you know, that had Lenin and Stalin in them and different things like that. So, you know, the... the, the The Stalinists did this all the time, but no one knows of of the Nazis having done this. So this was kind of an unusual kind of thing, and it kind of startled me when I saw it, kind of shocked me when I saw this this photo there. Uh, And they changed the caption on the photo as well. The, The caption in the photo that has the cross in the 1932 edition says, a chance event becomes a symbol. Hitler, the supposed heretic, you know, leaving the Marian church in Bremerhofen. Mm-hmm. And so what you're supposed to draw from that is that, look, Hitler's not a real heretic. He's a supposed heretic. So he's not a real heretic. You know, he, and look, this cross is right above his head. It's showing this Christian symbol there. So it's trying to associate Hitler with Christianity. But then once he came to power, and that was while he was still campaigning for power. That was, before, that was 1932 before he came to power. But once he comes to power... You know, he and Hoffman decided. And I'm sure Hitler had to have been behind that decision to do that. He and Hoffman were very close. They they were they got together quite frequently. And Hitler did manage his propaganda quite a bit. So even though I can't prove it, it's pretty clear to me that uh, Hitler managed this. That in the when the cross was taken out, the caption was changed to say. Uh, Hitler, after sightseeing in the historic Maria Church in Bremerhofen, so you're supposed to be clear there that mm-hmm. he wasn't attending a church service, you know, he's just seen the architecture uh, mm-hmm. there, and then the cross, of course, is gone, so you don't have that symbol any longer. So this is a pretty clear indication that Hitler, uh, especially once he came to power, was no longer interested in associating with Christianity, and in fact wanted to distance himself from it. and. If you look at his private conversations, too, this is very obvious, too, that he was intensely anti-Christian. If you look at the table talks, even though, as I mentioned, the English uh, edition is not particularly reliable, uh, the German edition has just as much anti-Christian rhetoric in it as the English editions Mm -hmm. do, and I quote quite extensively from that, as well as from Gerbil's diaries, Rosenberg's diaries, and and other places where he's constantly making anti-Christian remarks, Mm -hmm. and not just just distancing himself from certain doctrines of Christianity, but just bashing Christianity on the whole. In fact, let me go back and and say this that I think will help clarify this a little bit. Uh, Hitler had this vision of Jesus, where he thought that Jesus was a... An Aryan, first of all, he said he'd been fathered by a Roman soldier, so he didn't believe in the virgin birth. He believed that Jesus had been fathered by a Roman soldier who was Aryan. And that Jesus thus had Aryan blood, and Jesus was an Aryan fighter. And the, the favorite story in the Bible for Hitler was uh, the story where Jesus was driving the Jews out of the temple, because he see this as Jesus wielding this whip as this you know, Aryan fighter, driving these money-grubbing Jews you know, out of the temple, uh, and such, and but then he believed that Jesus had died, and he didn't ascribe any significance to his death other than just a martyr. He just martyred by these these wicked Jews, uh, and uh, that's pretty much all he thought had happened. In fact, at one point he made the sort of blasphemous statement, blasphemous from a Christian standpoint anyway, uh, that uh, he had come to finish the work that Jesus had been unable to finish. In other words, because Jesus had died, mm-hmm. he couldn't finish his work. Mm-hmm. So uh, Hitler has this vision of Jesus that's. Fairly positive, but he claimed that Paul was a sneaky rabbi who had had corrupted Christianity really from the very start. And so he didn't believe that uh, he totally rejected most of the New Testament. About half the New Testament was written by Paul, after all. And so he totally rejected Paul as well as a lot of other parts of the New Testament uh, and rejected then Christianity as a whole.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What did he find so distasteful about Christianity?
1: Well, it, it was completely contrary to his morality, for one thing, uh, which is what I discussed in a later chapter, but uh, he didn't like the fact that it taught humility, that it taught uh, turning the other cheek. In fact, he specifically mentions this issue of turning the other cheek, uh, not being a good recipe for uh, trench warfare in World War One, and that sort of turned him away from, the, from uh, reading the Gospels at that point. Uh, so... The helping the weak, helping the sick, helping the poor. Uh, actually back up helping the poor. He thought actually was a good thing, but he thought it was only a good thing if you're helping the Aryan poor, helping the the people of your own race. So he didn't think, like the universalism of Christianity, mm-hmm. and he he uh, is very uh, in Mein Kampf. He has a passage where he just mocks Christianity for trying to teach uh, af- black Africans. Uh, Christianity because they're in his view this inferior race. So He didn't like the universalism. He thought it was totally contrary to his racial ideology, which was central to his
0: way mm-hmm. of thinking. Mm-hmm. And as you just pointed out, he uh, develops, I don't know if he developed it himself, seems unlikely, but uh, the theory that somehow Christianity in its uh, historical form, that is post-Jesus, was a Jewish conspiracy.
1: Yeah, exactly, uh, and uh, in fact, no, it wasn't original with him. In fact, there's a lot of quite a number of anti-Semitic thinkers around in the late 19th and early 20th centuries before Hitler who had developed these same ideas that, that Jesus was an Aryan uh, and that uh, uh, the, the Jews had corrupted Christianity. That was not an uncommon view mm-hmm. at all among uh, anti-Semitic uh, nationalists in uh, early 20th
0: century Germany. Mm-hmm. So it seems hard to agree with Richard Dawkins. Actually, I could just stop right there, but um, it seems hard to agree with Richard <laughs> Dawkins about uh, whether Hitler was a Christian. If he was a Christian, he was the world's worst Christian. I think we can say that. Um, so this leads us to the next chapter, and that is: uh, Did Hitler want to destroy the churches? Chapter five.
1: Yeah, and that's a little trickier question because uh, we have to sort of tease out two different things, and we have to look at for his long term goals versus his short term goals. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to destroy the churches in one fell swoop, you know, right after he comes to power in 1933. He has no illusions of that, and that's, uh, in fact, one of the things that he warned against in Mein Kampf, where I was talking about the Schurner, where he's talking about Scherner and how Scherner had messed up by doing that. However, it does seem pretty clear that his long-term goals uh, were to ultimately destroy the churches, but he was going to try to do that by uh, indoctrinating the youth into Nazi ideology. So one of his key uh, uh, focus was to uh, win the youth over by uh, weaning them away from the churches. So he began over the course of the 1930s, even though he signed a document, the Concordat, with the Catholic Church in 1933 in which he guaranteed that they would be able to continue with their Catholic schools, with their Catholic uh, youth organizations. Over the course of the 1930s, he begins whittling away at that. He begins closing down Catholic schools. They begin making uh, Hitler Youth mandatory, and you're guess what? You're not allowed to uh, be simultaneously members of Hitler Youth and any other youth organization. So by 1939, they've uh, completely shut down all the Catholic youth organizations. So ultimately, this is sort of his uh, approach to try to destroy the Christian churches by getting the youth to his side and to weaning them away from the churches. And one of the ways, uh, there's quite a number of ways, and I I talk about a lot of different issues in that particular chapter, is to show the attacks that he makes on uh, the churches, but one of the ways that we can see, uh, what his ultimate plans were was, uh, before, just before World War II, and especially during World War II, there were various plans drawn up to uh, reconstruct the German cities, uh, and especially once they were being bombed out. and And Hitler made very clear that once churches were bombed, that unless they had some very special architectural value, they were not to be rebuilt. Uh, and they drew up these plans for rebuilding Berlin, for rebuilding other cities uh, in Europe, and. Lo and behold, none of them included churches uh, quite purposefully. So it's pretty clear that uh, Hitler was wanting to to get the German people away from the churches. Now, the big question I think we're still left with and I think we can still debate about uh, among historians is, you know, how fast did he think this would happen? Uh, and uh, this is... Uh, some of the some of the so, uh, hotheads under him were hoping to do this rather quickly. Goebbels, uh, Heydrich were much more uh, zealous in wanting to push forward this program very rapidly. Hitler sometimes put the brakes on it and said, no, we need to sort of proceed a little more slowly in this. But still, I think the end goal was still the same. I mean, he may have, I don't think that Hitler thought it was going to happen within a couple of years. But he did think within a few decades, I think, that perhaps they could – destroy Christianity or undermine it at least as much as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess I'm reminded of the way in which the Holocaust started, at least in the, um, in the view of some Holocaust scholars, and, th- and that is that Hitler had always talked about dealing with the Jews after the war until he found himself in possession of lots of Jews and uh, saw opportunistically that he might be able to do it during the war. Uh, and, yeah. and so I don't, I don't see any reason to think that we shouldn't take him seriously here when he said but after the war, he was going to deal with the churches. <laughs> oh yeah!
1: And after, and in fact, during the war, he did use some opportunities. He shut down a lot of the church press. They claimed it was paper shortages. You know, so they used all sorts of excuses, and they they uh, they banned uh, church meetings. Uh, after. Within 12 hours after a bombing campaign, Uh Hitler sent chap- chaplains out to the front lines hoping they would be killed. In fact, mm-hmm. this is referred to as the Uriah Order, after the, the man that uh, King David and the, the ancient uh, Jews had uh, sent out to get killed in battle. And so uh, they were trying to get their chaplains killed off the, the Air Force, which was under Goering under Nazi control, didn't even have chaplains. Uh, so... It's pretty clear Ooh. that they were doing everything they can, and even in war, to try to uh, whittle away the influence of the church in whatever way they thought they could.
0: I didn't know that the Air Force didn't have chaplains. That's interesting. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, I did not know that at all. And I usually think I know something about these things, but uh, so yeah, that's a new one. So let's go on to the next chapter, which is: uh, Was Hitler an occultist? Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm out of order here. I was looking forward to that one. <laughs> so did Hitler derive his anti-Semitism from Christianity? This is something you hear yeah, sometimes, and too.
1: Yeah, this is a very complex question. And, and what I actually argue in that chapter is that to some extent, yes, but to some extent, no. Uh, and, and where it really mattered the most in terms of the program of killing the, off the Jews, uh, that really wasn't derived from uh, Christianity, in, in, at least in his context. Now, of course, there was a very long tradition of anti-Semitism in, in uh, Europe at the time, and some of it did come from Christian persecution of the Jews based on their religious identity. However, in the mid-19th century, there was a key shift that took place in Germany, in the German-speaking world, in relation to anti-Semitism. Actually, that's when the term anti-Semitism actually came about. There wasn't even such a term until uh, the mid-19th century. And that shift was a uh, new conception of the Jews as a biological race instead of as a religion. Because before that time, if you think even of Luther's horrible anti-Semitic diatribes that he uh, put out in the 1540s toward the end of his life, uh Luther still, his end goal for the Jews was to try to convert them to Christianity and hopefully to win them into the, the Christian community. Uh, Hitler's goal is completely different from that. And the reason is because of biologizing, uh, seeing them as a racial entity rather than as a religious entity. In fact, what Hitler thought was that the very worst thing that could happen would be to convert Jews to Christianity because then they would be integrated in the community. And then they would, as he saw it, bring in their bad biological traits, the hereditary traits into the German gene pool. Uh, He didn't use the term gene pool. Of course, that wasn't around that time, but that's the idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Hitler's idea about uh, the Jews as a biological race, that idea didn't come from uh, Christianity, although he did build upon a lot of the stereotypes that had been built up over the centuries within the Christian faith. So Christianity does share some of the blame here, and I do make that clear, Uh, but there's also this new secular way of viewing uh, the Jews that is going to play into and become more integral to the Nazi uh, program, and it's going to... Uh, impact the way that they're going to treat the Jews, ultimately having to annihilate them, because there's nothing – you you can't just re-educate them, because it's built into their biology, according to his uh, worldview.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So you have to either get rid of them by immigration, which was what the Nazis tried to do at the beginning of the Nazi regime, kick them out of your country, or you're going to have to ultimately – uh, exterminate them. That's the only way to get rid of, of their so called bad biology. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And the, the the proof of uh, this pudding is in the eating, and that is when they do promulgate laws about uh, who is Jewish and who is not. It does not matter if you have converted.
1: Correct. And yeah. so there are even Jews who were Christians who yes, are being right. persecuted, or Jews who were atheists or agnostics. It didn't matter what religion uh, the the Jew happened to embrace. It mattered what their grandparents had embraced, and sometimes even great-grandparents, depended, but usually his grandparents is where they went to to try to figure mm-hmm. it out. By the way, the Nazis did try to find biological markers for Jews, they never could do it though, so that's why they had to simply rely on the synagogue mm-hmm. records of your grandparents mm-hmm. there. They did serological, some scientists did serological studies trying to see if they could find something in the blood that was different, about the Jews never could find anything. It's a good thing they didn't have a DNA analysis back
0: then. Yeah. So let's go on to the next chapter then. And this one is particularly interesting to me. Uh, Was Hitler an occultist or paganist? Before you answer that question, uh, I think one thing that people don't know, uh, many people, I'm sure that that we have a very intelligent audience, well-read, maybe they do know, that occultism and paganism were not as wacky then as they appear today. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: the... uh And and occultism, by the way, and paganism are two different movements which overlap. There were a lot of people who embraced both of those. But paganism, or neo-paganism sometimes it was called, was the idea of going back to the ancient German gods like Thor and such, or the ancient uh, Roman and Greek gods, which a lot of times they uh, corresponded with the uh, Germanic gods and such. Whereas occultism typically was trying to gain uh, some kind of uh, secret knowledge through things like horoscopes, astrology, prognostication of various sorts. Uh, and astrology is one of the bigger ones of course that was uh, pretty prominent
0: mm-hmm. at
1: the time um now uh, hitler interestingly uh in his uh, actually came out against occultism and neo paganism on a number of occasions even though some of the people in his entourage were committed to uh, various forms of uh, occultism and, and neo-paganism. For example, Himmler uh, was very much into neo-paganism and occult kind of things. He thought he was himself reincarnated uh, from a previous king, uh, and he was uh, dabbling in uh, astrology and various other things. And uh, Rudolf Hess, who was the leader of the Nazi party behind Hitler, uh, also was very much into astrology and various kinds of occult Uh, Sciences and such. So there were a number of uh, uh, high ranking Nazis who were occultists, and they did try at some point, especially Himmler, did try to integrate some of these things into some of their, uh, in in Himmler's case, the SS organization and such. And so that's why a lot of these history uh, channel, uh, uh, shows and also other documentaries about Hitler, you know, can focus on these, these different things of the occult being woven into the Nazis, because it was there. I mean, it was, in, it, was, it was being integrated into certain Nazi organizations and such. However, there were other high-ranking Nazis, like Goebbels, who were very anti-occult. Uh, Heydrich also uh, was very anti-occult, and so they weren't of one mind on this particular issue. And if we look at Hitler himself, who's one of my focus in the book, of course, what we find is that Hitler actually behind their back, behind Himmler's back, behind Hess's back, was very often uh, very critical of occultism. And one of the stories that I tell in my book, which is really fascinating that I discovered while I was doing the research on this that kind of uh, I thought was kind of shocking, was that while, uh, when Hess fled to Scotland uh, and jumped out and then the British took him uh, and imprisoned him uh, because he was trying to negotiate a deal with the uh, British, just before the invasion of the Soviet Union. So this was in May 1941, so about a month before the the Nazis invaded uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, Hitler thought that Hess had gone mad, and he blamed the astrologers for it and the prognosticators and the cultists mm-hmm. for this. And so a couple of weeks later, Hitler ordered uh, the SS to round up all of the astrologers, prognosticators, occultists, anthroposophists, theosophists, all these different groups that were involved in occult activity, uh, to round them up and to put them in concentration camps or jails. (laughs) And so they did. But interestingly, Himmler himself is very interested in the occult sciences, and so one of the things that Himmler did at this point was he took one of those astrologers named Wilhelm Wolf, took him out of custody, uh, and made him his personal astrologer. So it sort of illustrates the, the two minds that are going on there within the Nazi hierarchy. But Hitler uh, ordered that roundup because he believed that this was a negative thing and was leading uh, – had led Hess astray and would lead other Germans astray. So Hitler himself was uh, very opposed to uh, most occultism. paganism. There were a couple of instances. There was one issue of uh, – Doubting that Hitler at one point embraced uh, that may be considered an occult kind of thing. And I do mention that uh, there. But for the most part, Hitler rejected occultism and neopaganism.
0: Mm-hmm. Much to the chagrin of the producers of the History Channel.
1: <laughs> yes, in fact, one, in fact one, one of them emailed me, someone, someone who's producing one of those
0: documentaries emailed me one time asking me about my views, and when I told them my views, I never heard from them again. Yeah, I bet you didn't. Um, so, uh, this is a very interesting chapter, chapter 8. Uh, who was Hitler's lord? That's L, lord with a capital L, lord.
1: Okay, yeah, so here I... I try to lay out what, you know, We in, in the earlier parts of the book, I tried to lay out what Hitler didn't believe. So here I try to actually get, well, what did he believe? You know, yeah. if he wasn't an atheist, if he wasn't a Christian, you know, he wasn't a cultist, then what was he? And, and here, what I would argue is that Hitler was a pantheist, or perhaps a panentheist, although that's a term that many people don't know, but the ideas are pretty close. The idea of a pantheist is the idea that nature is God. Is like, So all of the cosmos is identical with God. And so there's, there's some ver- different varieties of pantheism out there. Uh, some, uh, in fact, in the 19th century German context and on into the early 20th century German context, uh, there were sort of two main forms of pantheism. One was kind of a mystical pantheism that sees the universe as having this will, which sort of goes somewhat along with Schopenhauer's ideas, although in pantheism it might be a more personal kind of will, not this completely impersonal will. Uh, and then, so there's this mystical kind of pantheism, uh, and but then there's also a more what I might call scientific kind of pantheism uh, that sees that just sort of it, it runs very close to atheism, but I don't think it necessarily is is exactly the same as atheism. But it sees the universe, uh, uh, the will of nature as being simply the scientific laws and such. And, and Ernst Haeckel is a good example of that. Ernst Haeckel was the leading German biologist uh, or Darwinian biologist, I should say in the late 19th and early 20th century and he identified himself as a pantheist so this is not an uncommon kind of uh, view at the time there. So I look at some of the different people that, that fed into this idea, but then what I do is I, I look at the way that Hitler uh, describes the god when he talks about god or providence and such. I look at the way he describes him and if you look in Mein Kampf Uh, in a number of uh, places, and I bring in a number of these passages, Hitler uh, uses the term nature and God interchangeably. And in fact, he does it in such a way that even the translators capitalize the word nature uh, in a lot of these contexts. Now, we can't Hitler, of course, would have capitalized nature just because it was a noun, all German nouns get capitalized. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if Hitler would have agreed with that uh, usage, but in fact, I've looked at a number of translations of Mein Kampf, and all of the translations, the translators capitalized the word nature because it's so obvious that it's being uh, personalized and even deified in those contexts. And let me just give you one key example that's really interesting because one of the most quoted passages of Mein Kampf Is where Hitler says that by fighting against the Jews, I am doing the work of the Lord. And of course, people who argue that Hitler was a Christian play on this really heavily and say, look, you know, Hitler's anti Semitism came from his, uh, you know, his Christian commitment and such. However, of course, he doesn't mention Jesus in that passage, so it's not clear he's talking about Christianity. And if you look at the context in which most, most people who quote that one sentence, they don't quote the sentences just above it, which provides some very interesting context. The sentence right above it talks about eternal nature avenges those who violate its commands. So theory saying that nature is eternal. Well, if nature is eternal, that means that it wasn't created at some specific time, which is typically how a theist would think about uh, God, that God created it you know, the, the universe at some point. So he's calling nature eternal. That was not a, just a slip of the tongue. He uses that term a number of occasions in other speeches and other places, too, where he talks about nature being eternal. But then he also talks about avenging its commands. So the idea is that nature is giving commands. And that he also, if you uh, read carefully in Mein Kampf, also talks a lot about the will of nature at various places. So the notion is that, that nature has this will. It's giving commands. It's eternal. Uh, and, he, and then right after that, he uses the term God. And again, that's not just in that passage of Mein Kampf. I analyzed a number of other places, too, where in various speeches and such, in one sentence he'll say nature, the next sentence he'll use God, and he's using them interchangeably uh, to mean the same thing. And so uh, I think as close as we can come to understanding what Hitler's religion was, his belief in uh, some kind of God, some indefinite being, it, it does. Strike me that pantheism is the best one. And another indication of that, it seems to me, is when Hitler uh, talked about setting up Linz, Austria, which was his, uh, where he had grown up, as being a great cultural center. He wanted to do this after World War II. Uh, one of the things that he wanted to do was build a planetarium, an observatory. There at Linz. and what he wanted to do, and this shows the anti-Christian side, I mean, he wanted to tear down the pilgrimage church that was on this hill right above uh, Linz and set up his planetarium there, where people could marvel at the wonders of nature. And he makes this very clear that on Sunday mornings, he said, instead of going to the church, they could go to, you know, see the marvels of the universe.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, that's 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 quite convincing. Um, so. Let's move on. You've already answered the reason I'm stuttering is you've already answered this question to, to a certain degree. But let's ask it anyway, since it is Chapter Nine. Was Hitler a creationist?
1: Yeah, I, well, yeah, I did answer that in the sense that he doesn't. He believes that nature is eternal, so he doesn't see uh, the whole universe is coming to existence. But of course, the one way that this gets uh, argued is that Hitler. Some people claim that Hitler rejected Darwinism and evolutionary. Uh, science altogether. In fact, Robert Richards at the University of Chicago makes this argument in his book called, Was Hitler a Darwinian? And and in that chapter, I rebut some of Robert Richards' claims about Hitler not believing in uh, Darwinian uh, evolution. In fact, if you look at Hitler's second book, which was a book that was never published, and so it's simply referred to as his second book, uh, he opens it up describing uh, perfectly the Darwinian evolution. So, uh, it's pretty clear that uh, Hitler did embrace Darwin, and I have a lot of other evidence for that too. In that chapter, uh, Hitler once talked about how humans had evolved uh, from some kind of simian ancestor about 300,000 years ago uh, in one of his uh, table talks that he gave. And there's just a lot of other evidence that I provide in that chapter to show that Hitler didn't believe did believe in uh, Darwinian evolution and was not then in any kind of sense a creationist.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So the final chapter of your book, well, there's a conclusion, but. Final substantive chapter, that's the wrong word, substantive, <laughs> was Hitler's morality based on religion. Yeah, and
1: there what I show is that his morality was based on what he took to be the laws of nature, and especially their need their struggle for existence is one of the more important elements of nature. Because Hitler, when he looked at nature, you know, pantheists today, some pantheists today, when they look at nature, they see nature as being beautiful, wonderful, comforting, peaceful. Uh, and so you have a lot of uh, pantheists, especially, say, from the Eastern religious traditions, who sort of see nature in that kind of way. Uh, Hitler, when he looked at nature, he thought it being harsh and cruel uh, and fighting and struggle, and these are the kinds of words that come about continually in his thinking. So uh, he thought that we needed to emulate nature, and he didn't think we needed to dev- derive our morality from religion. And so I, I provided quite a number of contrasts in that chapter between... Uh, Christian morality and religion, and morality divided from religion, and Hitler's form of morality, which was based on what he saw as the cruel nature. And just to give one kind of example of this, uh, Hitler thought that uh, because Hitler wanted the German population to expand as rapidly as possible, he opposed abortion. Well, that sounds very consistent with Christian teaching, except when you find out that Hitler didn't really uh, oppose abortion in all cases. He only opposed abortion if it was for a healthy Aryan uh, child, Uh, but in fact they actually mandated abortion for people who were identified as having congenital illnesses. Later on, they, of course, allowed Jews to practice abortion. And when Hitler took over Poland uh, and other occupied territories, they basically uh, allowed abortion. They wanted the people to abort their babies. If possible. They wanted to reduce their populations while they're wanting to increase the, the population of uh, the Germans. So there's a lot of ways where at first blush, you might see, oh, that seems consistent with Christian uh, teaching. But then when you sort of dig deeper, you start finding out that because there are different reasons for doing it uh, than the people who are doing it for religious reasons, Therefore, they end up with uh, different uh, approaches and, and to it as well. So his morality was not based on religion. Mm-hmm. Um, except maybe except maybe his religion of pantheism. Maybe we could say that because he is basing it on what he sees in nature doing. And to him, nature is God.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I guess one thing that occurs to me, uh, having read uh, this book and a previous book of yours, is how easy it was for Hitler. And I don't know if this is unique to him. You can tell us the answer to that question. How easily he slips from Is to ought. And again, this also reminds me of different philosophical traditions. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I was sort of raised in the Western analytic tradition. So not Schopenhauer, but uh, Hume or Locke. And so we're always enjoying not to do that. You don't slip from is to ought. There's is and there's ought. And Hitler looked at Darwin and saw is and went right to ought. Could you talk a little bit about that? Is that a correct characterization or... I think that's correct, but I think part of the reason he
1: does that is because for him, if, if you're a pantheist who believes that all it, all it is is nature, uh, then you have to ask, where does the ought come from? Uh, and so for him, I think the only place he could get an ought from was from nature, because he believed that nature was his God. Uh, so I, mean, I think there's a sense in which, yeah, he's he's going very directly from nature. I think, you know, in the in sort of the Christian tradition, uh, I think Christianity also goes from is to ought in the same kind of way in that Christianity sees ought being embodied in the nature of God at least that 's my own that 's mm-hmm. the way I would uh, read that tradition as well mm-hmm. so it 's not this but but what Christianity does not do typically is saying that you go from nature and is in nature to an ought yes. because nature is separate from God, nature is created by God and is separate from him so uh, christianity would would uh, go a different way in that sense, but still there's a sense in which is and ought, they are related in some way. Yeah,
0: they are. Uh, they, they definitely history. are. And, you know, I mean, I think something, to, in fairness to Christianity uh, and Christians, that uh, the, the, it's a revealed religion and the, and the revelation is and is. And, and it, it happened. Right. It's a real thing. It's not, you know, something yeah. that you make up. It really happened. And God is telling yeah. Christians what to do. That's an is. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a That's an odd. That's it is. Yeah. And, right. and, and I don't want yeah. to be unfair to that uh, standpoint. But, you know, just to, again, the, the kind of thing that it strikes me of how, how kind of foreign that is, that is to my own way of thinking. But yes, there is this thing, biological evolution. Yeah, certainly is the case that there's, you know, um, uh, you know, Natural selection is a fact and, 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 you know, differential yeah. reproduction and, and that other business. But, uh, it, that doesn't really tell us a lot about the way we should live. And again, if you come from a utilitarian position, um, it doesn't tell us anything about the way we should live. In fact, we should maximize right. happiness or something like that. And clearly, right. Hitler had no interest in anything like that. Uh, he was not interested. No. <laughs> I'm, but, not you know, again, all. but again, to put it in a broader perspective, I it, and it's hard to make a positive case or to put Hitler's Ethics or Hitler's religion in a positive sense, but you know he probably thought, in some sense, that making Germanizing the entire world was good for humanity and was what it was intended yeah. by nature. Right. Um, sure. Right. As, as yeah. uh, obviously harmful things, there will, will come to pass. But these were things that would would pass. They would be in the past. And right. once all of humanity was right. Germanized, then the total sum of happiness and well being uh, would be maximized, and the purpose sure. of life will have been uh, life's life with a capital L and god will have been realized. Uh sure. the, obviously it makes no sense to us but it's it's I think you've done a good job of yeah. showing that he did believe these things. Um he Yeah he, and, that's he, why, and that's why that's why I put two in my uh, subtitle, The Twisted
1: Beliefs that drove the Third Reich.
0: Yeah, I mean, he did. He did, he did <laughs> yeah, yeah really.
1: there's, there's, there's a certain logic to his thinking if you buy into some of the presuppositions that he buys into. But yeah. because I don't buy into those presuppositions, then they do become very twisted views.
0: Right, which come down to, I mean, almost one of the most important lessons at all. I don't know if it's the most important lesson at all, but that Hitler did not think he was evil. <laughs> Full stop. He did not. No. He thought he was good. And doing the best thing he possibly could for mankind, which I don't know, that's kind of a frightening thought, but um, I think that's right. But even more frightening is that some
1: of his followers, Mm. many followers also thought that. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. That's,
0: that's, yes, that is, yeah, that's not good either. But um, I want to thank you for elucidating these things to us because, uh, you know, one of the things I always try to point out to my students is that we probably hold thoughts today that in 200 years people will think we're barbaric. (laughs) I don't know what ones they are, and that's kind of the trick of it. We can't tell. And, you know, clearly it's easy for us to look back on, you know, the Hitler of the 20s and 30s and say, oh, that person obviously is evil. But at the time, it wasn't clear at all to a lot of right thinking people, some of them university professors for that matter. So it's all much more complicated than we think. You know, if we could tell what was right and wrong right now, you know, with any kind of historical you know perspicacity, then, gosh, that would be great. But we can't anyway i I want to thank you very much for writing a a wonderful book again wonderfully organized wonderfully written clear as a bell anybody could read this book and should read this book uh because it just does such a fantastic job of elucidating insofar as we can and that's a nice part about it too is that it pays attention to these methodological concerns what hitler what what hitler's religion was yeah thanks for having me on absolutely well let me ask you the traditional final question um on new books in history and that is uh richard what are you working on now
1: well, I'm working on several different uh, projects, and I'm not sure which one's going to be coming out first. Or anything. I'm working on uh, some issues relating to uh, the history of euthanasia, uh, which I've worked on some earlier in my From Darwin to Hitler uh, book. I don't know if that's going to be the, the next thing on tap or not, but I'm also sort of shifting sort of a major research, my sort of major long-term research projects. I'm actually moving into a totally different uh, world, which is uh, actually back to what I did my master's thesis on, which was the early 19th century uh, German awakening movement. Mm-hmm. So it was a religious revival movement that took place in the early 19th century Germany.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you come back on the show when um, when you finish that. Well, thanks. Absolutely. Well, let me tell everybody that we have been talking to Richard Weichart about his book, Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. Uh, let me thank you again, Richard. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely, and let me thank everybody that listens to this podcast. We thank you very much for listening to the New Books Network and to New Books in History, and we hope to talk to you soon.